Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. So good to see everybody here today. We've got a celebrity in the back here with, uh, with Rachel, her son. Good to see you. You know, last time I saw you, you were like that big, but he did. He grew up. <laughs> he grew up. Nice to see you, buddy. Uh, as we gather together in the presence of the Lord today, we can give thanks for the many blessings the Lord has poured upon us. He's given us another day to live. He's given us another opportunity to uh, give it another try, right? God gives us new days, new weeks, new years, and today we get uh, another opportunity to serve the Lord. Psalm 48 is going to be our call to worship today. And um, Psalm 48 says this, and this is in the ESV. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. It is joy of the whole earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together, and as soon as they saw it, they were astounded, and they were in panic, and they took flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. And as we have heard, and so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which he will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts and go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever, and he will guide us forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that sometimes you choose places as we hear in our call to worship. You chose Jerusalem, a place, Lord, that uh, was once where the ungodly lived, where those that did not know you lived, but you made it your city. You took it and you dwelt there in your tent, your tabernacle, which became, Lord, your temple. We pray today, Lord, as we come to understand that now we are that temple of God. You live within us. You live within the church. We pray today, Lord, that you would speak to your chosen people today, Lord God, that you would change us by your words, that you would use us to glorify your name. Thank you for giving us another opportunity and we rejoice that we are in your presence today. In Christ's name we pray. standing for just a little bit here. I'm going to read for you five verses from Psalm 132. My sermon today is called God Uses What He Chooses. Text is Psalm 132, 1 through 5. I'm going to be preaching for you 
the whole of Psalm 132. Psalm 132, verse 1. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. How he swear unto the Lord and vowed to the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We pray that Psalm 32 would speak to us as it spoke to those who sang it. As Israel sang that song and your Holy Spirit spoke to them, I pray that as we work our way through it and learn our way through it, Lord, that it would speak to us as well. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. God uses those people, places, and things that he chooses. I picked this image up here. We have David finally being coronated as the king of Israel after many years of great difficulty. He's there in Jerusalem and he's there uh, not far, uh, I'm sure, from uh, God's gathering place for worship. God uses who he chooses he chooses, he uses what he chooses. Psalm 115 verse 3 says it this way, and some people may not even like this verse. It seems a little bit like, you know, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Some people don't really like that. You know, we live in a world today where people sort of like to think that they control God or they have the right to define God or have the right to be irritated if God doesn't meet their expectations. But I'm here to remind you today that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Everybody say, God does what he pleases. Now, when we say that, you might think that maybe he, God pleases to do bad things. God doesn't please to do bad things. The Bible says he loves us. He's a good God. His mercies are new every morning. But this statement sometimes flies in the face of our pride. And for others, it conjures up fear and doubt. He does what he pleases. Well, why would God want to do anything nice for me? Some people might say, why don't I have more to do with what goes on in the world? Why am I not in charge of my own destiny? Some may demand in defiance. Others may look at themselves and say, you know, God would never choose me. When others are so much more deserving. Do you ever look around and you think, you know what? These other people deserve this a whole lot more than I do. I'm not, I'm not really so great. Someone say, how could I ever expect God to choose me with all of my faults and my failures and, and my sins? The very fact though that you are here today the fact that you have faith in Christ and a desire to know and to follow him, that you call on the name of the Lord, it is a testimony to the immutable fact that cannot be changed or challenged. If you're here today, I would say God has chosen for you to be here today. It has nothing to do with you. Does it 
It didn't have anything to do with your alarm clock. It didn't have anything to do with you being good and deciding, you know what, I'm so good, I'm going to go to church today. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2 in our New Testament reading here, Brother Jeff led us in it, and it says that you, and you need to take this for you, you are a chosen generation. Everybody say, I am a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. You don't have to keep repeating. A holy nation, a peculiar people, they that show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That statement in first Peter is not just to the people reading it there who Peter was writing to. It's written to you. God has chosen you. And God uses, everybody say God uses whoever and whatever he chooses and he has chosen you. Say it again. God has chosen me. He will use you no matter how proud or how downcast you are. God's not impressed by you. He's not depressed by you either. Some of you may feel that God's impressed with you. Others may feel like, you know what? When God looks at me, he just sees a big mess. We sometimes, you know, when you're getting to know somebody, that statement sometimes when you kind of feel like they're getting to know you a little bit, sometimes you look right up and you go, you know, you know, I'm a really a mess. Anybody said this to anybody? You know, like, like I'm a big hot mess. I'm a, I am so messed up. You don't even know when you get to know me, you're going to find out how weak I am, how messed up I am, how many terrible things I've done. Do you know what? God already knew that about you when he chose you, Rachel, <laughs> right? He already knew that about you when he chose you, Jeff. He knew what you were. He knew what you would be. He knew all the dumb things you were going to do that you haven't done yet. And yet, what did he do, guys? He chose you. You know, Joy and Chris, I know you guys have a hard time. Sometime you're like, you know, I'm thinking maybe, maybe not. I'm thinking maybe we shouldn't really even be here because, you know, we've done a lot of bad things. And, and, and I mean, isn't that sometimes how you get to feeling? You start to hear about the grace of God and his goodness and all that he's doing. You're like... I'm not the one, kind of like Moses. Remember when God, Titus, he comes to Moses and he says, you're going to go do this for me. And Moses goes, no, <laughs> no, I, I'm not the one. I, I stutter when I talk and, and I, I'm not the one for this. Lord, you, you, I think you, you have appeared to the wrong guy with the burning bush hair. I know you don't get many things wrong, but maybe you're talking about this other guy who normally walks on, on this sand dune here, out here in the desert. You, you, you may have got me confused. I, my life's a mess. I murdered a guy. Uh, I was raised by a bunch of heathens in Egypt. And uh, I, I, I don't know, I went crazy. And then I, I'm running out here. I'm running away from everything that I've known. And I'm out here in the desert. You, you don't want to pick me. I can't even go back to Egypt. I stutter. I've got problems. I'm a mess, God. God will use you no matter how proud you are or how downcast you are. Your opinion of yourself, your concern about your shortcomings and failures will only serve to glorify God. 
He uses who he chooses and what he chooses. And he has chosen you and me. He has chosen this church, our building, our city, our nation as instruments of his glory. Just as God chose Samson to be a judge and a champion before he was even born, God used his weakness to show God's strength. God can and will do this through you. I marvel at the story of Samson, all the great deeds that he did, but he never did any of them for the right reason. He never did any of them when he was trying to live for God and do something beautiful. It was always when he's running around with a harlot and, and this is going on and he's hanging out with the Philistines and he's eating food he shouldn't eat. He's doing wrong. And all the while, what is God doing, Stephen? God is using him anyway. You know why? Because he chose him. He told his parents, this boy is going to be used of the Lord. And he was. So God has chosen you, so get over it. Get excited about it. Get with the program. Deal with it or whatever your response needs to be today. But I'm here today to encourage all of us to face the facts. God uses what he chooses. He has chosen you and he is using you. You can go, well, I'm not a really good mom or I'm not a really good husband or I'm not a really good deacon or I'm just a really terrible leader or pastor or father, get over yourself, get over your faults and your failures, get over all of your judgment. Yeah. What did God have to do? He had to convince Moses that God actually knew what he was doing. Do you know, God knew what he was doing, Ashley, when he gave your little ones, you for a mother, you might go, but I'm just a mess. I don't even know what I'm doing. And I don't know. And it's terrible. And I, will they even serve God? I don't even know. This is the clear message of Psalm 132. And as we walk through it, my prayer is that God would apply this to you and to me. That we would all fill our minds with wonder and curiosity about what God is doing and what he is using us to do in your life. And you would just surrender to it and get excited about it and live differently. You'll see, when God reminds us of this truth, what comes next, as we heard in First. Uh, Peter chapter two, he's like, you're a chosen generation. You're a peculiar people. You're all these things. So what, what comes next? He goes, so you should behave yourself. You should try really hard to at least act like that. What God, when he put his confidence in you was not stupid for doing it. Pray for your leaders. Be good. Be peaceable. Honor people. Be nice. Straighten up. You see, we like to think it's the other way around. If we straighten up, if we do right, if we've done all these wonderful things, then God will use us. No, God's going to use us no matter how stupid we are, how uh, faithless we are. I marvel actually at myself at how faithless I am. People think I'm a person of great faith and I giggle at the fact because I am the, I am the most faithless guy that I know and when I say that, I'm saying I am always surprised, Sister Sally, when God answers my prayers. I'm like, I can't believe he did that again. This is absolutely amazing. My children are like, Dad, do you have like some sort of mental problem that you, you forget that when you ask God for stuff, he gives it to you? And I, you like get all worked up, Dad. It's like, you know, you know, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I just keep thinking he's done so many things. Why, he's probably not going to do one more. Maybe that was it. Maybe the last sermon God gave me was the last one I'm going to get. 
telling you, I'm just being a little transparent here. I just go, I don't know, maybe I'm done. Maybe, the, maybe, maybe God's never going to use me again. Maybe I screwed everything up so bad that, you know, hey, you know what? It was a great run, you know, but it's probably over now. <laughs> you might go, is that really what you go through? Yeah, I, I actually do. I do. You see, being able to just sort of get over it and know God's going to use us in spite of ourselves this is how we renew our minds. It's how we break free from the spirit of the age, constantly trying to conform us to its purpose. Psalm 132. Okay, the who is David. Everybody say David. The place is Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. And the thing, okay, because we're talking about God using people, places and things. The thing is the tabernacle, the holy objects within it, which was soon to become, of course, not just a tabernacle, but a temple, a permanent place. God uses people, places, and things that he chooses. You know, when God uses a thing, we can become enamored by the thing. But when, when God was telling Moses, he was calling him. If you remember, he asked him, he said, what's in your hand? And he said, I've got this staff in my hand, right? Now, it was just a dead stick. It wasn't a magical stick. It was just a dead stick. What it, but, but what was it? It was in his hand. And so God chose to use a thing. The thing had no value in itself. It was a dead piece of wood. But God used it. And it's a very special. I mean, wouldn't you love to find that? Wouldn't you love to, wouldn't you love to, to be able to like touch the staff that Moses, you know, put out over the Red Sea or that he, he you know, he smote the rock with or that he that turned into a serpent before Pharaoh. Wouldn't that be an awesome relic to find that just wow, amazing. But it wasn't really amazing. It was just a stick. The inspired heading tells us that this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. We are in the 13th of the 15th Psalms of Ascent going from 120 to 134. We're closing in on the last few it does not tell us who the writer is, and there's some debate about it. Some people say it was David, but David is spoken of in the third person. Others are convinced it was Solomon, but everyone agrees that this was used at the dedication of Solomon's temple, that they used it, they sang this song as the temple was being dedicated that God allowed Solomon to build Solomon in uh, the Old Testament books is saying many of the things word for word that are written here in this psalm. But the psalm begins with a statement that is kind of a tone setting statement because we're going to talk a little bit about what it, about it means to be chosen by God and what it doesn't mean. To be chosen by God does not mean uh, that you are going to float through the air and that you're not going to go through anything rough uh, and that all is just going to be peachy. Do you, do you guys know that being chosen by God doesn't mean that? Okay. Anybody selling that? Uh, selling something that's not real. But he says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Okay. So we're going to start off with David. David is mentioned, and this is amazing to me, 1100 times. In the Bible. Now, if God's going to mention a man's name 1,100 times, he's probably a pretty significant character in the Bible. He was just a man, though, and arguably he was not really a great man based on 
the sins that we know he committed in his life. The ones we know about that he committed publicly, not just uh, for people around him, but to be written in the scriptures for us to remember forever were murder and adultery and lying and deception and uh, being a bad dad and being faithless and numbering Israel. I mean, everybody say David was not so great. But God was great. He broke all of God's laws and he did in so much that everybody even knew it. And still he was God's choice. This might resonate with some of you. This might be more like you. God chooses people we would not choose. And we really should be thinking, who cares what others think about us? They don't do the choosing. You know, people don't choose. God does. They don't do the choosing. God uses who he chooses, not who they choose, whoever they might be. We spend a lot of our time worrying about what other people think about us. And we're hoping that they'll like us and they'll think we're good and that we pass their little test. You know what? You've already passed the most important test in the world. You've been chosen by God. You don't really need any other self-esteem builder. David was chosen by God, even though he was far from the best choice in the, in the eyes of others. He was from the smallest tribe of Israel. He was the youngest and he was uh, most, the most unlikely son of Jesse. I mean, when Samuel comes to the house of, of, of Jesse, he tells him, you know, here, I want to meet all your sons. He brings them all. He doesn't even think about David. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you have any more? Oh, yeah, I got this other son, but he's probably not anybody you want to see. His own father would not have chosen him. Maybe some of you might go, well, my mom and dad, they didn't think I was much. Join the chosen crowd. Doesn't really matter what your mom and dad think about you. Who, do, who does the choosing? God. God does the choosing, right? And God uses those he chooses. It doesn't matter what your dad thinks about you or your mom. I mean, we want our moms to like us. We want our dads to like us. We want to, I mean, my mom would always tell me I was the greatest thing in the whole wide world. That was great. I know a lot of people who mom thought they were wretched. It's kind of hard to live with. But God is the one who does the choosing. And we can't always, you know, our mom and dad doesn't always think we're great. So now where we're, we're going to go now is he says, remember David and all, everybody say all, all his afflictions. Do you know David had so many afflictions, we don't even have a time for a proper list. We'd be here all day long. My question is, how about you? Have you had a few troubles? Chosen of God and you begin to think chosen for affliction I think a few of us here today might be convinced that this is all God has chosen you for. You've had endless health issues, countless car crashes, Benita's online, right? Constant financial fiascos, never ending issues. Being chosen of God certainly does not mean that your life will be free from afflictions and sufferings. In fact, we read in our New Testament reading in 1 Peter chapter 2 that if you're chosen of God, guess what is coming your way? Some suffering. 
Paul, who the Bible tells us was chosen from his mother's womb in Galatians chapter one, when he's telling his story, he says, God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. That's what Paul says in Galatians one. His life was interrupted on the road to Damascus. He was going one way. He had a plan for his life. He was out doing what he thought was right. And God interrupted him, smote him off his horse and blinded him and chose him. He could have picked anybody, but he picked Saul. Did he not? He picked a guy who had stood by while Stephen was stoned. I mean, Jesus was looking at Stephen and Stephen was looking at Jesus. He was dying. He was forgiving the people. One of the people he was forgiving was Paul. Paul was there holding the coats, participating in the stoning. And then he went from there. It says they dragged men and women out of their homes. He, he was aggressive and zealous in hurting and persecuting the church. And you know what God does to him? That's why he calls himself the chief of sinners. Could you imagine being called of God and you had been murdering Christians? You had been imprisoning them. God says, this will be a great choice. I'm going to pick this guy. Why? He's going to see himself as the chief of sinners as he refers to himself on more than one occasion. He was the one chosen to be the 12th apostle who replaced Judas. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He was certainly chosen but you know what he also was? He was imprisoned, Rebecca. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked, snake bitten, betrayed, and finally beheaded. You might go, well, I don't really kind of like that list. That's kind of a, that's, that, that's not real inspiring. I thought we were going to have a prosperity moment here. Does anyone think, though, that Paul regrets any of that right now? I don't think so. I think in heaven, he's pretty glad with the life God gave him. So in verse two, it says, here's what we remember about David and his afflictions. And of course, we know these afflictions that David went through were, you know, God made him king, but he wasn't king yet. And he's running for his life and he's living in the desert and Saul's trying to kill him and everything's going wrong. And, and, and he gets a band of guys together and the, uh, the Malachites, you know, steal his family. I mean, he's just going through tribulation after tribulation, right? Remember, and, but, but you know what happened? As soon as God takes David and he puts him on the throne, it's not five seconds later. And David is wanting to know what can I do for you, God? Some of you might've been like, all right, I'm on the throne. You know what, Lord, this was a long time coming. And this was a, it didn't, you didn't have to make it this hard on me, Lord. But no, you know what? As soon as he's in his palace, he can't even sit in it for five seconds. And you know what he's doing in his heart? He's going, oh God, I want to do something for you. That's what, that's the story of David's life. Verse two tells us how he swear unto the Lord. David makes a vow. He vows unto the mighty God of Jacob. So, Remember David and all of his afflictions. Remember the vow he made after he was on his throne in his palace in Zion. David went through years of affliction before coming to this throne. And once he was there, he was not content to rest. He wanted to serve the Lord. Let me ask you this question. What do you really want to do? How many of you could say, you know what? I just want to serve the Lord. I just want to, I want to be used by him. I mean, I don't know if he can use a guy like me. I don't know if I have anything to offer God, but there's something in my heart that wants to be used of God. Well, rest assured, God is going to use you because you 
are his chosen daughter, Christina. I want to be used of the Lord. I want to see the lost saved. I want to help the hurting. I want to live a good and righteous life and glorify you, Lord. Isn't that the cry of your heart, honey? Lord, you're so good and you've been so good to me in spite of my faithlessness and sin. I want to do something for you. Isn't that what you're saying? Like, you know, you doubt and sometimes you'll come up and go, I just need to, I need to make sure I'm saved, you know. And I'm like, you wouldn't be asking the question if you weren't. You see, this is what the chosen do. The chosen say, God, use me. Use me, Lord. And then what we're always wanting to know, what is God going to do with me? Right, Anna? What's, what is God going to do with me? What, who am I going to help? How can I build God's kingdom? It's what the chosen do. It's how they feel. Rest assured today, God uses who he chooses. God's using you and he will continue to use you in the story of his love he is writing. When you have something on your heart like David did, do what David does. You're going to see this. He determines to do it. He fasts and prays and he goes talking to God and he says, oh God, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. He knows his own weakness better than anyone else. His confidence is not in himself. He goes to God. This is what I want to do. I remember Jeff and Amy they're like, we, we, we want to help fatherless children. But like, we're a mess and I don't even know if we're raising our kids very good. And, and you know, we fight and we're just people. But like, our heart, right? You're like, but I don't know if we have the money and I, I, I don't know if we can even do it. And I, oh, but, but, what could, but your heart, I want to do something, right? You know, she's like making earrings, like, to sell them online. Like, oh, I want to raise money for, for Myanmar. I want to help. I want to, be, I want to be a part of this. This is what I want to do, Lord. Lord, would you, would you help me? This is what's going on here. David is saying, I want to be used. Right, Rachel? You're like, what? I don't care what it is. I don't care where it is. I want to be used. Verse three, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go to my bed. David is saying, I want to do something. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to get in my bed. I'm not going to go and sit in my house until, oh God, and, and what's he doing? He's being fervent with God in prayer. I mean, how many of you are brave enough to do that? Lord, until you answer my prayer, until I get to do this thing, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to my house. Like, that's pretty scary. David was crazy like that. Like, and he knew that God was watching and that, you know, he could starve to death here, Right. I will not give sleep to my eyes. I will not slumber. He's like, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to my bed. I'm not going to my house. Oh God, answer my prayer. Now, some people say this was hyperbole, but it may really have been ultimately like this. I remember when I was a young man, I felt this calling on my heart to serve God. I'm like, I don't know what you want from me, Lord, but I need to know. I need to know. And I remember as a 15 year old boy, I fasted and prayed for like a whole week. And for a 15 year old boy, fasting for a week's like, it's not very easy. And I remember praying and I'm like, Lord, I'm not, I, and I'm, I'm told the Lord, I'm like, I'm not going to eat until you answer my prayer. I need to know what you want from me. And I'm like, I think I'm about to give up here. Maybe, maybe I made a rash vow, you know, like, like, Lord, God did answer my prayer. Told me I was going to be a pastor one day. You know how I know it's true? Because I'm a pastor right now. <laughs> 
You can see this was a serious desire of David, one he was bent on seeing through. He wanted something from God and he believed God was watching him. God is watching you. You know, Titus, you're on the front row and, and I think of your age, my, my son, you know, you guys are the same age and, and you might think, well, you know, is anything I'm doing important? Yeah, it is. When I was your age, I'm, I'm like, God, use me, use me. You know, God hears your prayer. He doesn't just use, you know, people that are old. He uses, he uses children. You can ask God, use me. And God hears you. He's not just going to overlook you and pick somebody smarter and, and better and more holy and righteous or important or some. No, he will use you. He sees your heart for him, your desire to serve him. You have every reason to believe that he will answer you. David was showing God how serious he was. What are you doing to show God that you are serious about being used of him? He will use you, but what are you doing to say, okay, Lord, you're going to use me. What are you going to do? What do you want me to do? Here I am, Lord. Use me. Verse five. So what was David's vow? What did he want to do? He says, until, verse 5, until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Now, what is he talking about here? David had a desire based on something in the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy. David knew his word. He loved it and he knew God had said something to Moses hundreds of years before that had never come to pass yet. He wanted to see it in his lifetime. He wanted to be a part of it. And it is what his heart wanted. And he was like asking God for it. You, there might be something that you uh, believe God has promised that you want to see come to pass. You know, the Bible says he will use us to bring the lost. He will use us to speak God's word and faith will come in their lives and they will come to know. How many want to be used to, to do this, to be a part of this great harvest? He said, the harvest is great. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. You might go, Lord, I want to be one of those laborers. I want to be out there reaping the lost. I want to see them coming to God and kneeling at an altar. And I want to see them baptized. I want to see them come out of poverty and sickness and difficulty. I want that for my life, God. And you might, you, are you praying? Are you asking God for that? I hope you are. But he wanted to see something in his lifetime. And in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and you can read the whole chapter if you're interested in knowing about this more. He says, these are the statutes, the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land where you go, all the days of your fathers, okay? He tells him you should destroy all the places of worship that all of these, he says, but I'm gonna give you a place, okay? Verse 5 in Deuteronomy 12, but you shall seek the place the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. He's saying, God, once you establish yourself and once all the tribes possess the land, God is going to pick out a specific tribe in a specific place. And I'm going to take this tabernacle that's wandering around for all these years with the children of Israel, and I'm going to give it a permanent home. And you know what David said? You know what I want? I want, to, I want to be the one you tell where it is. Wouldn't that be a, 
Wouldn't that be a beautiful hope like, okay, God, Lord, I've been through all this stuff. I've been through all this difficulty. I want it to be for something. And Lord, you know what I want? I read in your word that one day, and it had been hundreds of years, hundreds of years. The tabernacle had been in Shiloh for 400 years. Remember, we learned about this not too long ago. It traveled around. It was in different places. But they knew it was just a tent. I want, it, I want to be the one that you tell, Lord, where the, te- where the temple is going to be built. That's what I want to be. That was his prayer, Jonathan. And he says, this place that I choose, there you'll go. There you'll bring your burnt offerings. There you'll bring your sacrifices. David, as we learn in the Psalms, he loved to be in the worship of the Lord in the corporate gatherings of the, of the church. Now, verse six is kind of a difficult passage to translate. And, you know, if we had like two hours, I'd go into it. But it says this, lo, we heard of it at Ephratah. And we found it in the fields of the wood, okay? So something in the song was, so David somehow sort of let it be known. He was praying to God about this and people were wondering, where's it gonna be? Where's it gonna be? Is it gonna be out in Shiloh where it's been? Is it gonna be in Judah? Is it gonna be in Benjamin? Is it gonna, where's it gonna be? And they were talking about it and they were getting excited about it because they're like, hey, when David gets involved in something, stuff happens, right? But this much debated passage whose meaning is difficult to ascertain, we know has something to do with the decision process for the permanent place for God's tabernacle and for the Ark of the Covenant to dwell. Israel took great care where to put the tabernacle. Each time it stayed in a location for a while, it was after God had revealed to them, this is the place I want it. But it wasn't, this is my permanent place. This is where I want it for now. Now David was seeking approval for God For this location, he wanted to play that role. Ephratah was the reason where Bethlehem, the region where Bethlehem was fixed. Remember the the Old Testament prophecy, but thou Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. So Ephratah kind of came to David, actually, wherever David was, was kind of considered Ephratah. And, and, and so the people are like, we heard it was going to be with David, you know, and where's that going to be? Maybe it'll be Bethlehem. We don't know, but it's with David. It's somewhere, right? Wherever David was, David was Ephratah. The God, God's tabernacle would find a fixed home someplace. He had built, David had built his palace on this mountain called Zion in the city of Jerusalem after taking it from the Jebusites. David wrestled over and prayed over God's will about where the place should be, that permanent place for God's house. And a lot of people, uh, they focus on the fact that God never let him build it. But you know what God did? God did allow him to pick the place where it was going to be built. And God did allow him to bring the ark from where it was to the place where it was going to be built. So what does God do? God answers David's prayer and he gives him the desire of his heart. You know, God, you know the scripture that says that, that God gives us the desires of our heart? Many people turn that around not to say what it actually means. It doesn't mean that whatever you want, God gives it. It tells you that what you want, God has made you want. He gives you the desires of your heart. You go, oh, I want to see the lost saved. Like, well, God put that desire in your heart. I want to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. I want to see this or that. Whatever it is that God's put in your heart, that desire has been put there by God. And so you should pray that you might see it. And David wanted that more than anything. And you know what God did? God gave it to him, Sister Joy. 
Verse 7, we will go to his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Wherever it was going to be in Israel, Israel was eager to go there and worship. The whole nation joined in these prayers and they were seeking God's direction. They were waiting. What is God going to tell our King David? Verse 8, arise, O Lord, in thy rest, thou the ark of thy strength. And it's, it doesn't say the ark of the covenant, but that's what it's talking about here. Arise, O God, Lord, let it be known. Where should we take the ark? Where should we build the temple? Where should this permanent place be? Arise, O Lord, and show us. The ark was a thing. Everybody say a thing. It was one of those things that God uses. It was where the, 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 the stones God had written his laws upon were put inside the ark, the pot of manna from the time in the wilderness so that they would not forget God's provision and the rod that Aaron held that budded, that was dead, but then came alive. It was in there and they took it out to battle and lightning and thunder came and their enemies ran before them and they wanted this where God lived, there where the angels' wings came together, the mercy seat. They wanted it to not just be out there. They wanted it to have a permanent place to be. You see, God uses people he uses places and he uses things. You might say, well, I want God to use this building. I want God to use that building. He's given it to us, right? He's chosen it. I knew eight, nine, ten years ago that God had given us this building. I knew it. And I'm like, well, I feel like that. At least I believed it. And so here we are. Here we are. God lets us. He will show us stuff. And I don't know. I, God doesn't ever give me like the, the great, you know, see all of the whole thing. But I can see it sometimes. And I'm like, I'm like, guys, we got to get this building somehow. I got so for, you know, when you talk to a guy like for eight or nine years trying to get something, you may may have it on your heart for some reason. God uses people, places and things of his choosing and they had the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the golden lampstand, the Ark of the Covenant. And these are things God uses. God will use a building. God will use this city. I don't believe that this city is called Mount Sterling for nothing. I think it's ironic and funny. Nothing sterling about it. No mountains here. Right? But the Bible says that we are God's people, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Therefore, let your light so shine. I believe one day that God is going to use us, his church, the thing that God's using in the world today. He's going to use it to make this city shine. And you go, well, how could it ever shine? I was talking to a lady at Great Clips. I, I did get a haircut. I know my hair's still long, but I, I got a haircut and I'm, I'm telling her, I said, you know, I believe that's going to be different. And she goes, fat chance. She goes, Mount Sterling's days are, they're, they're done. She goes, I, I went to school there. She goes, I, I live there. She goes, it's just going to go downhill. I said, I don't know. I don't believe it. I think God's going to, you know, and now that, and now, and now that Jonathan may have a house there, whoo, the conquest of Mount Sterling. All right. I get excited. David, the, the prayer here in verse nine, let thy priest be clothed with righteousness and thy saints shout for joy. You see, God had designed their outfits. He had given them particular instructions how to worship the, the hats on their head, the robes on their body, the, 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 the instruments that they use to worship God, the bowls, the, the altars. And you go, well, can, does God use stuff? Oh yes, he does. He uses stuff. 
He's going to use these benches and these seats. He's going to use this gymnasium floor. There'll be people coming to the Lord and playing volleyball. Come on, Amy, can you see it? Can you see it in the spirit, right? And all of a sudden, we get, we get volleyball that attaches to the floor. And it's like, and like we've got the greatest volleyball ministry on the planet. I don't know, you know. I'm making a joke. It, because Amy loves volleyball. We got a few volleyball people that are feeling called to the volleyball. It was glorious. David loved that he longed to sing and worship before the Lord formerly at the tabernacle when Israel gathered together as a nation as well as when he was alone with God. He loved both this and this is what the chosen do. They love to be where the people of God gather. They talk to God when they're alone, but they love it when the people of God gather. I love it that since God's given us this building, it's, we're not just here on Sunday. It's like almost every day there's someone over here working and doing something and hanging out and playing and like, and you know, destroying everything around here. And I don't want it to be destroyed, but I'm glad that we're using it. Amen. Amen. And so what did David do? Verse 10, for thy servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of thy anointed. They're asking God. He was pleading to be a part of this process. David was to be used of God to determine where the temple should be. Verse 11, the Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it of the fruit of his body. I will set up a throne. You see, they, David was reminding God, you know what? You chose me and you said that my throne was going to be established forever. And you brought me out and you anointed me when Saul was a king and I was a king. Oh God, you did this for me. Lord, I want you to do something else for me. They were, he was kind of getting excited, right? You know? He reminds God of his promises. He calls on God to take that into consideration. You might go, I don't think we can talk to God like that. Yeah, we can. Rebecca, you can go like this. You can go, you know what? My mom's been sick and, and my parents gave what they could to serve the Lord. And they had a rough way to go. And God, we stayed faithful and we love you, Lord. I want this from you, God. And you might go, you shouldn't talk to God like that. I think it's showing right here that you can. You talk to God. God, you promised me. Lord, this can't be for nothing, Lord. Lord, let it be, Lord. Lord, I want to be the one. I want, to, I want you to pour out your spirit on me. I want to be, that, I want to be that, the, the voice that speaks the word of God to others, Lord. I want, to, I want to raise money so that we can help our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. And, and I want to help them and, and our, our brothers in Honduras and, and Lord, our brothers in Russia, wherever they are. Lord God, I want to be a part of that, Lord. You might think David is going beyond what he should in his prayers, but he was pulling out all the stops. He was doing what our children do when they want a puppy. I clean my room and, and I'll feed it every day and I'll take it on a walk every day. And, and, and I've been really good. And, and last year I mowed the grass all year long and I never complained about it once. Remember that, Dan? And you go, oh, do we talk to God like that? You know what? You know who doesn't talk to God like that? People that don't believe God is watching and listening. Like, Lord, Lord, I've been through some rough stuff, Lord, and I can't take one more hit, Lord. I need, Lord, send, throw me a bone. Like, give me some encouragement. Like, oh God, you know, please, Lord. And, you know, God doesn't mind it at all. In fact, he loves it when we go to him in faith, believing he cares that you matter and that he is listening and will give you what you ask him for. You don't have to be super special. You just have to be his chosen. In verse 12, he's reminding him, it, 
He said, remember what you said, God, if your children will keep my covenant, my testimony, I'll teach them their children shall sit upon thy throne forevermore. Remember when you said this about me, God, this is what God had said to David. He was saying it in his prayer. And when we pray, we should pray using God's word as David does. You can ask amiss when you don't. I mentioned pure religion, you know, Lord, I want to adopt this fatherless child, but I don't have the money. Lord, you said pure religion was visiting fatherless children. Lord, you said when I feed your, your hungry brothers and sisters, I'm feeding you. Lord, I want to feed them, Lord. Lord, you said when I give them a drink of water, I'm giving you a drink of water. Oh God, I want to give you a drink of water, God, but I don't have the the means. I can't fly over there. I I want to send the money, but I don't have it to send. Oh God. You go, can you pray like that? Yes, you should pray like that. Verse 13, for the Lord had chosen Zion. He desired it for his habitation. And this is where we see David's prayer was answered. This song, as they were dedicating the temple, they were kind of walking you through how did the temple get chosen? It got chosen through all the afflictions of David and the difficulty of David and the vow and the prayer of David. I want a house. I want a house. I want to be a part of fulfilling your word. Oh God, he prayed. He fasted. He let everyone know I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything until you let me do this. Oh God. And he, and he called on God. You chose me and you told, said my throne was going to be established and you did all these things for me and David's praying and the whole nation's going, God, answer David's prayer. The Lord has chosen Zion. He desired for a habitation. God heard David's prayers, allowed him to be the one who heard from God and selected the site for the temple. We know that God did not allow him to build it, but I don't think he's upset in heaven right now that it's called Solomon's temple because it's named after his son. He had gotten what he prayed for and so much more in his life. You know, we don't get everything. God has some things that we want for other people to do. And maybe even our children, they are chosen of God too. The promises of God are not only for us, but they are for our children too. And God will choose cities. And God chose Jerusalem, owned by the Jebusites in the middle of the Canaanite wasteland of child sacrifice and ungodliness, but it found its way now 965 times in the Bible as a chosen place of God. And I pray that in the history of the world to come, that Mount Sterling is mentioned 965 or 9,000 times. And they say God did a work in this little tiny town that wasn't a mountain in it. And there wasn't anything sterling about it, but there were people that loved God and they prayed and they asked God and people believed it and God did it. Verse 14, this is my rest forever. Here will I dwell for I have desired it. God, the Bible tells us, desires to live in us. We are this holy nation. We are a house. The Bible says we are the stones of the temple of God. We are the habitation of God. We are not only God's chosen people and you are not only God's chosen person, but we are God's chosen church. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it that we will be those that tread down the enemies of Christ under our feet. You can say, I want my foot to crush the head of the serpent. Lord, let me see it. Let me see some blood come out of his head. I want to kick him and crush him. 
Verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. Her saints shall shout for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for my anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon him shall his crown flourish. I'm loving this psalm. Can you imagine as they dedicated the temple, the temple that David didn't build because he was a man of bloody hands. His son was able to build, but David was able to be used of God to pick the place. God answered his prayer and it came to pass. What are you asking God for today? I know that Stephen and Rachel are asking God to use their home as a place where people are discipled, where they know the Lord. Amen. I'm believing it with you. I'm believing it with you as God bless Jonathan with this house. I hope that not only are the guys hanging out and spending time together, I pray to God that they're bringing people in their house. They're inviting them over for dinner. They're talking to them about the things of the Lord. Everybody say God uses who he chooses. God uses what he chooses. God has chosen me. God has chosen this church. He's going to use us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for choosing us. Lord, your word says that you chose us in you before the foundation of the world. I can't even comprehend it. Thank you for choosing me. And now, thank you for using me. It's not a matter if you will. It's how you will. Use me, Lord. Use the people of this church. Use our whole church. Use this building. Lord, it is yours. We long to see it used for your kingdom. We are looking for, hoping for, and praying fervently for, and desiring to see your will done. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.